My name Andres Colubri. Okay. I can't think about new project. <laughs> More work to do now. It will simplify your life. <laughs> Welcome to the Getting Simple Podcast. Getting Simple is about simplifying your life and doing less better. Hi everyone, um, this is Nono Martinez Alonso and welcome to the Getting Simple podcast. Um, this is the episode number five and I'm really happy to be here uh, in Cambridge again um, with Andres Colubri. Hi Andres. Hi Nono. Um, so today, um, as always, we're going to have a chat um, to basically deconstruct a bit like how the life of Andres has been, what he's done over the past years and what he's doing now. And hopefully also get some insight on simplicity about his life. Um, he might, I mean, you might think or not that uh, your life is uh, geared towards simplicity, but we'll see. I mean, we'll, we'll see how the conversation goes and well, I'll let you introduce yourself. Sure. Thank you. It's a pleasure for me to be here. And, um, yeah, I'll start by telling you what I'm doing at this moment. Um, I could, I guess I could define myself as a computational scientist, a um, processing developer, and an occasional artist. So see, already my answer is not very simple. It's of three things, and I, you know, I try to put them together in some way. Uh, and yes, I try to uh, to have some, you know some guiding principles, some simplicity in there to try to bring these different interests, you know, into a, into a, um, into one, not one thing, but into something that, that is consistent or something, some story that, that I, know, I can tell myself and to others. So let's see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you've mentioned processing. Uh, I'm really familiar with processing, but if you can give a brief introduction also what processing is, so people know what we're talking about. Sure. Um, so basically, um, Processing is a programming language and programming environment that um, makes the use of code um, more simple for uh, artists, designers, uh, students, people in general who want to use computer code to express artistically. And it's a project that has been around for, um, I think, from 2001. 2001. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Started, actually started here in Cambridge at the Media Lab. It was, uh, it was called Drawing with Numbers, something think, like that, the um, first prototype. I think Drawing by, by Numbers is a different um, software, a different different programming uh, tool that served as the inspiration for processing. Um, I think the uh, Design by Numbers project was created by Sean Maeda, who, who um, had his group at the Media Lab, and then two students of him uh, at the time, ben, ben Fry and Casey Reese, they took many of the ideas in design um, by numbers and um, took those ideas into processing. And that's how the project started. Um, I became involved uh, some years later. Uh, uh, but uh, So I was not around at the very beginning, but but you know I knew about processing uh, in 2005 or six. Uh, so it was already a while ago. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I believe the first time I used it was in 2000, 
2009, 2010, actually, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. architecture school. Yes, yeah. But yeah, I started doing some stuff there. Yeah. And yeah, so you've talked a bit, I mean, introduced like how would you define yourself, like a computational scientist, uh, a processing developer, you said, processing yes. with processing, and then also an artist. Yes, occasionally. Uh, where, so where does this come from? Like, I mean, how did you get to this point? To this point, yes. Um, I think my story started um, with an interest both in in visual arts, drawing, and, and and animation, but also in mathematics and science. So um, when I went to, to university, I eventually uh, did a PhD in mathematics. This is back in Argentina, where I'm from, in Bahia Blanca. Uh, the name of the university is Uni- uh, Universidad Nacional del Sur. It's, uh, it's where I went to for my undergraduate and, and graduate studies. So I first uh, yeah, I did a PhD in math, and and, after, and that was already <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> now that I think of it, and uh, right after that, I came to the U.S. for the first time in 2002 uh, to do a postdoc uh, in computation, computational biology. So I was studying um, this um, problem in in uh, molecular biology ca- called the protein folding problem. That is predicting how a, a protein molecule um, adopts its 3D structure. So I worked on that uh, for a number of years, and then I decided to to leave academia, uh, academic research for some time. Uh, and I took a break and I went back to Argentina to um, uh, to connect with uh, these other interests I had in, in, in art, in animation, and, and how to use um, mathematics and science in general in the arts. So um, yeah, I went back to Argentina and I met people in Buenos Aires um, in the city of Buenos Aires, where, where you know, um, we all had these common interests in, in bringing together code, uh, art, uh, design, interaction, uh, uh, real-time uh, performance, and we uh, started creating some tools there to do this work. And we also collaborated with uh, people in theater, with um, video artists. So it was a very interesting period in my life uh, um, where all these things started to come together. So yeah, that's uh, that's when I also started using processing. Uh, so so yeah yeah, and that eventually led me to to I mean there are a few more things in the in the in the, in the middle, but mm-hmm. yeah. So um, how how do you I mean you how do you take that decision? You wanted to leave academia on the side for a bit, and how the how was that uh, introduction to art? I mean, how did you discover that you could do computational art or? you create your own tools or when do you yes. discover processing how yeah yeah it happened all very how do you say, what is the word it was not that much of a plan really it started happening because i had this feeling that the research i was doing was so um you know i, I was looking at this very tiny uh, field or this very uh, very specific problem and it, it felt like everyone uh, around me was you know just doing that for a very long time so I wanted to do something that had other, uh, other, um, say, um, I, w- I wanted to do other things, uh, uh, not only that. No, I mean, I, it's not that I didn't like working on protein folding. It was very interesting and, and, and you know, very challenging problem and with many uh, potential applications, no? Like in, in, in uh, you know, by, by knowing how proteins fold, you, you could, you know, maybe cure disease. So the application is very important. But I thought I wanted to really do more things and, and and I felt 
like was a little disconnected from from this interest I had in in a more uh, artistic expression. I don't know. I, I was kind of feeling something that something was missing, uh, and how eventually. So going back to your question, <laughs> uh, I guess um, that I had a feel that things could be combined in new ways, but I didn't really know much about this field of, of uh, computational arts and design. I didn't really know anything about processing or anything like that. So it was more like towards common friends. There was uh, someone from Argentina doing another postdoc uh, in Chicago, uh, and, and this this person uh, uh, told me, you know, I, I know I, I have a friend in Buenos Aires. He, he's just like you. He is interested in mathematics and physics, and he also does programming. And he, he, you know, he wants to create art using, you know, computers. And why don't you just go and meet him? Uh, and that's uh, how things started. It was really this this feeling, and then talking to people, and then eventually things start to to kind of come together. And you know, by looking at things online, I I think I found processing. You know, um, and and you know, I was doing some explorations on my own. Like started to to do some visualizations. Of protein molecules because that's what that was my research at the time that was what I was doing I was looking at protein folding so I started to write my own um, tools to visualize proteins in 3D so I started to get into how to program 3D graphics and from there I, I you know then I, I discovered processing and I wanted to use processing to, to do that kind that, that kind of uh, 3D graphics so I don't know it's a it's a mixture of different things. So at that point, did processing already have some a 3D engine? Or? Yes, yes. That was, uh, uh, yeah, as I told you, it was around 2005, 2006. And at that time, um, processing had a OpenGL, like 3D graphics engine. Uh, and But what but processing didn't have at the time was support for this new uh, uh, technology for, for, for programming graphics, uh, which is called shaders. And uh, that was very new. And it, it really was very interesting because it allowed you to, to program the graphics to, to the lowest level. You could define uh, how to process each pixel on the screen. No? You could do a lot of things with what you had in processing already, but there were some, some limitations. No? And um, really, this idea of, of shaders uh, is that you can control every single step of, of in the process of generating a, a graphic uh, or a 3D image. Uh, not only 3D, it could be also 2D, but every step in the process of generating an image on the screen, you, you can control by writing the appropriate shader code. And I got into that uh, using shaders, and, and we, in fact, um, we used some, we wrote some shaders in a theater play to kind of project some uh, kind of strange, fluid, dynamic uh, uh, images on, on on the background of the of the stage, and and those shaders we developed. Can we we uh, prototype them uh, with processing, and then we put them inside this other tool we had created uh, on our own, uh, uh, which this is another project actually that still still exists. It's pretty interesting. I can talk more about that in a second, uh, but yeah. Can you give uh, just I mean for people who don't know what shaders are either? Um, can you give a specific example apart from what you said now, like maybe materials or when it's used in other applications? Sure. I think the, well, the name shaders comes from the idea of, of shading, no? The, the the kind of how how you use light to define uh, the, the shading of of, a, of, a, of an object. So that um, that's kind of the, the the original idea with shaders was to actually simulate how uh, light in a simulated scene interacts with the different surfaces and materials and gives you the final you know, uh, um, appearance of the objects and everything that you have in, in, your, in your scene. Um, 
so in a way, it starts from that, just to s how to, to program the appearance of a, of a 3D scene with a computer by taking into account where the lights are, the, prop the, material, the properties of, of the different materials in your scene, so, and, and defining all, all of that mathematically, essentially. No? And, and you can define the different equations that determine how what the color of a, of a certain object is going to be, depending on whether that object has a wooden surface or a plastic surface, and how many light sources are you know affecting that object. So that's kind of the the, the initial kind of starting point of shaders. Kind of give you a mathematical way of defining uh, those calculations that that result in in the final look of a of a three D scene. And going back to what you mentioned before of the the how the protein molecules fold. I recall seeing, I think this was what I saw online. There was like, there are some games, right? That yeah. externalize yes. Yes. Um, some kind of sort of peer uh, play yes. environment to, how could you, so to crowdsource, right? Mm -hmm. The Yeah. 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 No, uh, this is a, a, a actually, um, a g there's a game. It's, it's a, it's a gamified version of, or, or a, uh, gamification is that the word, right? Yeah. Gamification. Uh, yes, of of the of, of the um, of the protein folding problem. The idea is that um, you let users to take a protein molecule in three D and start moving it around and fo fold it with your own hands in a way, and um, and you can build teams, and each team is working on maybe the same or different molecules, and you have a score like a ranking. Um, and depending on that ranking, you have people who are doing better than others, depends. Uh, and, and here it's interesting because there is a, a play component to it, but it has uh, an underlying um, physical component. Physical in the sense of, of physical loss, like, like when, you, when you use this folded game, um, you don't start from scratch. You already get some pre, uh, uh, partially folded structures that were generated with, apply, by applying certain algorithms that incorporate um, the chemical and, and physical interactions that that determine how these molecules fold but then you need to refine that and that's uh, that kind of a more nuanced refinement is what humans are very good at doing no? so so some people can collaborate you can try folding a little piece of the protein and maybe you cannot quite figure out how this piece goes into this other part but maybe someone else because ah if maybe we tweak this other portion of the molecule we can get it better so it's, it's very interesting. Actually, there was a paper. They actually, from the game, they actually went to a scientific result that was got that got published because they were able to find a folded structure that was actually the real uh, structure that you observe in nature, but it was not known. So it was actually a discovery uh, based on, on this uh, uh, gamified uh, uh, version of protein folding. Is there a way to explain why a human can do that? Uh, task and not uh, autom. It, it's really probably computer power consuming to automate that. Well, I mean, we are in a moment where people are trying to answer that by saying yes, computer could do all of that because of machine learning, for example, you can just learn all of these different pattern recognition tasks, and computer could do them. I don't know. Uh, I think, especially with, with um, 3D structures, we have kind of a very special advantage because our, our brain is wired to, to uh, recognize uh, and deal with um, objects in 3D space, since it's the space where we live in. So I guess that we have this, very, it's very, it's, it's extremely um, natural natural for us. It's, it's really hardwired in the way our brain works to look at things in 3D and imagine, you know, 
movements in 3D space. I think that's why it makes it very good for for humans, for people <laughs> to, to, to try to fold, you know, uh, proteins in that way. Going back to how you define yourself, um, how do you think uh, the fact of having done like uh, PG math uh, has uh, influenced your career as an artist or the point of view from which you looked at um, art installations or other art projects? I think it's both an advantage in um, in a, a weight, I would say, <laughs> having this uh, background in mathematics because it gives you give, gives you many possibilities, uh, especially from at least the way I, I see it in my own experience. It gives many possibilities from the perspective of creating new tools because um, I have I have this I already have this knowledge about about um, systems and, and formalisms that are very useful when, when you program comp when you create complex tools that that um, use a lot of math no, in, in, in them. So that really helped me to, to start contributing to projects like processing from, from, the, from the position of, of, of developing something like a, a 3D engine or, you know, or adding support for these shaders, uh, uh, for, for you know, sh shader programming, which has a lot, uh, a lot of it has to do with, with mathematics <coughs> and, and how you do computer graphics and, 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 and using, using um, all these mathematical operations. So in that my mathematical background allowed me to, to, uh, to enter in, into the, the arts from that point of view, of, of, from that place of, of creating tools to enable others. Um, and I think um, it, can, it can be a weight. When I said it can become a weight, um, I was thinking of it because sometimes you, you might approach a, a, an artistic project, project from a, a very technical uh, point of view and sometimes that might not help to, to really explore the project from a more uh, uh, you know um, poetic mm, standpoint or, uh, or poetic uh, um, view uh, so but but I mean you, I, I think there are people who are able to you know to use their mathematical thinking in, in a more poetic way uh, yeah you mean that maybe sometimes you're too rational Yes, I guess maybe you can put it in that way. Sometimes uh, having that all that baggage makes it too rational. Yeah, I think you're, you're perfectly right. Um, before I forget, can we can you just mention uh, any project that maybe people can see online or something of that that you've collaborated with that is art related or data visualization or related or something like yes. that? Yes, yes. One project from a from a few years ago that really enjoyed uh, quite a lot. It was um, in collaboration with, uh, with an artist um, from Israel, uh, Romy Ashitub, who um, at the time was working with an artist collective um, in Tel Aviv uh, on a migrants uh, library, essentially a public library that um, migrant communities in, in Tel Aviv could go to um, to check out books uh, also, you know, to have a community space, um, you know, to bring their kids. And they had this interesting idea of looking at um, how books are classified by the readers themselves. They, they had a classification was, that, was, uh, that was based on the, um, the emotional response 
of the readers. So they would put like a little tag every time the book was returned. The reader would say, well, this book was sad or exciting. Or they, had, they, they had like six or seven categories. So every time the book was checked out and then returned, the, its its classification would change. It might go from maybe someone who, the last person who read the book thought this is exciting, but maybe the next person thought this is sad. So you could build like an like a emotional history of the book. So we worked on, on, a, on a visualization of, of all that, uh, of the, all the data they had for, for all the books uh, in the library. So that was a, a project I really liked working on. Um, it's called the Alien. Um, the, the emotional life of books, <laughs> the, the, the name of the, the visualization. The emotional life of books. Yes. Nice. Okay, and can you uh, tell me more a bit about your involvement on the Processing Foundation and also, I believe, is the Savetti Lab? Yes, yes. Uh, yes, I have uh, kind of one one foot on, 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 the, on the science and, and yes, in, in this lab, uh, at Harvard and the Broad Institute, and then the, the other foot uh, with, with the processing community, and I, I, some, I, I try to, to you know to make connections, uh, uh, but it's always like a like an ongoing uh, um, challenge to, to connect those two worlds. But um, I'd say that yeah, the the work I'm I'm doing um, in in relation with processing is essentially um, contributing to the core of the project, um, kind of the the the, the Processing as, as a whole is many things. You have the software itself, you have a very large community of people around it, uh, you have libraries, which are kind of extensions that people write to, to add functionality to processing, but there is a, a set of uh, functions that are um, kind of are, 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 are part of, of, of the of the of the core of processing so when when you when you get pro when you download processing from, from the from the web you get like um, this environment and this this um this core library which is kind of which gives you all the 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 basics it, it's the basics of the language uh, uh, that allows you to write um code that then you can use to create uh, visuals or, or also to process audio but but it's kind of the 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 most important part of the language. Yeah, so the the core part would be what is being found that is commonly used by almost everyone yes. that might use processing, like external libraries just uh, give you specific functionality that is more niche, like maybe it's for, uh, there's for example, like this Siphon plugin that mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. wrote that is for connecting to a Siphon application from processing, but those are things that uh, don't get installed off the shelf mm -hmm. because they're mm -hmm. not used by a uh, Whole, the whole yes. Yes. amount of people that actually yes. use yes yeah I think that's that's a uh, good way to put it I think the the core um, language in processing is what uh, yes what is useful for most people and, and um, yes I've been contributing to that part of processing um, for some years um, and kind of my, my my contributions are mostly around the well, 3d graphics um, the, the the support of, of shaders in, in the core of processing, also um, the video library that allows you to you know to uh, to work with um, with video files and to, to um, image from from images from the camera or, or video stream from, from the from the camera. And now what I've been um, um, very busy with is uh, with um, support for mobile development with processing. So we also have a um, Android um, mode in processing that allows you very easily to take your processing code and 
transform it into a, a into an Android app. So that uh, is like a, a project we are very excited about. And especially now with all these new um, advances in augmented reality, virtual reality, we are we are we are kind of including all of these into uh, into processing as well. And Andres has done um, a great contribution recently. I mean, you have released a book. I mean, you can tell mm. a bit about that probably and where people. I mean, what the book is about. Or sure, sure, yes, uh, yeah. The the whole um, story with processing for Android uh, started. Well, started um, also, it's not new. <laughs> In fact, the first version of Processing for Android dates back to 2010, kind of not lo that uh, long ago after Android itself started. So um, uh, Ben Fry wrote um, an early version of the Android mode uh, we, uh, together with Jonathan Feinberg, another contributor, Processing uh, contributor. And um, I, at that time, I, I wrote the 3D engine for, for Android. Um, and yeah, for the, in, in the next years, <coughs> the, pro the processing for Android was available. Um, but because we had all these many other things to do, we, we kind of didn't have the time to put that much energy into it. You know, the problem is that with processing in general, with processing development, is all uh, um, based on, on, on voluntary contributions, right? So we work on it when, 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 whenever we can. So sometimes you want to do more, but you, but you can't, right? And this is uh, because uh, we haven't mentioned, I think, the processing is an open source project. So yes. anyone can go read the code or they can like edit it and suggest uh, contributions or like edits or like for new additions or to edit and change the way things are right now. Yes, yes, it's it's um, it's an open source project, uh, and and that means that yes, the source code uh, is uh, available to everyone to you know to go um, to download it to see how it works to make contributions uh, uh, to you know if if people find uh, bugs or issues you, you you can you know open a report and you know uh, could be either us the kind of the core developers or other people might might look at those bug reports and, and suggest, you know, and see what's, what, what's the problem and try to fix it. So it's really a community effort. Um, and, um, but again, sometimes it's hard to, you know, keep up with, with all the, uh, the work because since processing became so popular, so many people use it uh, everywhere around the world. Um, sometimes uh, you have this um, a constant stream of, you know, uh, bugs that people find or requests for enhancements, for improvements, and, and it's really a lot of work. So, so it, it, it is hard to keep up with all of that, but we, we do what we can. And with Processing for Android, um, well, what happened is that um, what happened is that we had Processing for Android, but kind of there. I mean, we were not supporting. We were supporting, but um, kind of at a level that was enough for doing basic things. But what happened is that um, Google, uh, I thought, well, yeah, processing is great because it's, it's much easier to use at any, uh, any um, development environment that is more professional for, the, for developers. If, if you want to really um, um, promote uh, Android as a platform to create cool uh, apps that have graphics and audio, processing is a much better starting point you know, for people who maybe come from design and from the arts. Using a, 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 a more um, complex development environment is, is something very hard to get started with. So I said, well, it's great if we can have processing and processing could support things like VR, for example, you know, which two years ago it, it was when Google was pushing for for you know their VR um, kind of um, SDK or, or kind of uh, their uh, virtual rea reality uh, uh, um, 
uh, interface for Android and say, well, can we have VR in processing? So it's much easier for people to you know, download processing, put uh, you know, the, uh, the Android mode, and then start writing VR apps. So we got a little support from Google. And thanks to that, we, we got VR and wearable uh, support for wearable devices as well. And that led to a book eventually, uh, was one year ago, uh, more or less. And yes, uh, that the, the book itself took a, a, like a year, like from the from the very beginning, you know, to from the book concept, or the, yeah, the, the book proposal for 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 the for the publishing to the to the final you know final version. So it was a lot of work, but I think it was very re uh, rewarding. And this book, uh, you did uh, voluntarily also, or I mean, on your own. That was a side a side project that you started, or everything I mean, is a side project. <laughs> everything is a side project. Everything is a side project. <laughs> uh, no, the book. Um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, the book went the, the the traditional path of, of book publishing. Uh, ben Fry got a was approached by uh, an editor from from this um, editor who was looking for um, you know for people who uh, could write books on processing, on, on different aspects of processing, on, you know, on JavaScript, on Android. And, and Ben said, oh, you should contact Andres uh, on the process uh, to see if he's interested to, you know, to propose some, some book uh, idea. And yeah, I, I, you know, I got in touch with the editor and from there we, you know, we kind of move forward with, with, with this book on, on processing for Android. And, and that's a very standard, I mean, I never wrote a book before. It was my, my first experience writing a book. And yeah, you, you sign a, um, a contract with, with, with the publisher um, and you set a timeline. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's, I mean, you get some f financial reward from, from this, the sales. Uh, uh, there's a, like a royalty, depending on how much you sell, you get some, some you know, some money. <laughs> so, so it's not completely free. <laughs> so, so, but I mean, the, the main motivation was to really get uh, not so much, okay, to so see, oh, I'm gonna make a lot of money with this book, but it was uh, really, um, for me, like a challenge in saying, okay, how can I explain this to a, a large community, you know, and, and to give examples that are motivating motivating for, for people, not only for, for uh, people who are already experienced with processing, but people who might be, you know, uh, who might be new to it, and even for the Android developers who are already experienced, but they may maybe they want to explore something more experimental. So that kind of, how could I address all these different uh, audiences was kind of the main, main motivation to work on it. Okay, uh, before we move on to uh, talk a bit of uh, something else, uh, what's, the, what's the actual title of the book and where can people find it? Uh, the actual title of the book is Processing for Android, um, Create um, Sensor-Aware and Virtual Reality Applications with Processing. Uh, and the book, um, yeah, you can find it and different ways. Uh, if you go to the to the Processing for Android website, which is android.processing.org, there is a book section where you can find it. And if you go to, for example, to Amazon and search Processing for Android, you, you will find it as well. So it should be pretty easy. Cool. And we'll add uh, the link to the book also to the episode ah. notes. Okay. Um, Chenya Gears, um, you come from Argentina. Yes. Um, and you basically moved to to the states. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how was your experience in life, like growing mm. up in Argentina and then moving here, and mm. now you seem to be more settled here in Cambridge. And mm -hmm. yes, um, well, 
I, you know, I grew up in a relatively small uh, city, and the first time I came to the U.S. was uh, to Chicago, which is a, you know, a very large city in the U.S. So it was a um, a an eye-opening experience because I came to a big city to a research university where you meet people from everywhere you know, in the world and, and uh, that experience alone is quite amazing um, and yes I, it, it was a very defining experience for me I, I guess that I will have gone I will have considered exploring these the, the arts if I have if I hadn't met people uh, there uh, in Chicago when I came to the US because you had this very um, you know very, very, very smart, very creative people who you know you start talking to, and maybe that opens up some ideas in you. It's, it's that was a, a really a great experience uh, for me. Yes. Do you think you have some sort of mission in the design field, or that you want to make, or a contribution, or? Yeah, I think um, I'm. I'm. That's that's a. Hard to answer. I, on one hand, I would say, uh, yes, I'm, I'm happy with creating these um, tools that enable designers and other creators um, to use computers and other devices to uh, to create, create art, to use them in new ways. Um, so I, that, I could say it's, it's, it's a mission or, or it's something uh, that <clears throat> I... I became, you know, involved with, and I, I see uh, it has a huge value, and I'm I'm really looking forward to continue contributing uh, towards that goal. Uh, I don't know, that's already a good destiny to have. <laughs> I think um, I I don't know if I'll, I'll be able to make other contributions, but I think I'm happy with you know what I've done so far, and it's always very nice to see projects people create with the tools you have you have uh, implemented or you have contributed to. Well, I'll I'll personally congratulate you i mean i've used a lot of your uh contributions like i've used processing a lot on the 3d mode for example and i was surprised when i wanted to use siphon and then i wanted to use it with processing and i saw oh, this is a plugin made by andres and so i don't know like those small things right that maybe take took you a long time to do but they're there uh pretty sure making the lives of a lot of people a bit uh better more joyful they can use these things yeah. Yeah. No. Well, uh, I'm. I'm glad to hear that it was useful uh, for you. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's it's unexpected. It's you don't know where these things can be end up uh, used. You know. Do you get um the people I don't know write or maybe tell you that people are more frequently tell you these things in person, right? That people not probably communicate these things online. Or... No. I mean they're appreciative of, of this of, of these things. I, I always had a very good experience with the community. Um. You know. Sometimes. Um, you get an email from someone who, you know, uh, is uh, using processing or some of the libraries and say, oh, uh, this is great, I, I'm doing this project, uh, thanks for, for, you know, for um, putting this library out. Um, so, yeah, in general, people are, are very appreciative of, of this effort. So it's a, it's a good experience to see these things happening and, and see that it helps people in their own projects and, yeah. yeah. Making making their life more joyful. No, eventually, yes, it's helping realizing their 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 visions. So. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, 
how how does your day to day look like day to day well the, that's a good question because what i did not answer before is the the, the scientific uh, savery lab part and and kind of uh, um my everyday life uh, uh has to do a lot with 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 that part of my work um because now i'm um, working as a competition scientist at the broad institute in the Savary uh, lab and um yeah my, my everyday life uh oh that's a, a question i don't answer myself too much but uh no i mean i typically i mean the weekdays i i go to the broad institute here in, in cambridge uh, it's says a really amazing place to work um, very stimulating environment with scientists um you know people who who are software engineers also designers who are working on on um, tools kind of in the, the interface of, of tools to visualize scientific data it's a, it's a very di uh, diverse community of scientists and designer, designers engineers and where do you so how do you find the time to <laughs> contribute to processing and do the for things like the book for example yeah i, I don't know <laughs> uh, no I, I think it's the book it took uh, uh, a lot of time but you know some of the things i already had uh, kind of in some preliminary form, I put together a website for the processing Android project, and I had already examples and tutorials. And part of the process in writing the book was taking that into a better organized uh, uh, format. Um, and you know, about doing all these different things, right? Like uh, I try to connect them. Uh, for example. With, with the research I'm doing at, at the Broad Institute, uh, which has to do with data visualization and uh, machine learning applied to biomedical data, um, we, we are looking into the problem of using mobile devices to help um, uh, fight infectious disease by reporting symptoms using the devices. Like, say, a, a doctor in a remote uh, part of, of the world, they, they can have these devices to, to enter um, data from patients, and then this data gets uploaded when they have connection into into, uh, into a server and then we get this data uh, we do some analysis and we get um, we get uh, some models that allow us to predict what is going to be the outcome of patients given um, their symptoms or given other data that might, might be available and, and then this part of the project that has to do with how to use mobile devices uh, 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 as a way to, to help um, treating patients there, I can. I, I've been using a little bit of, of the processing for Android uh, tools I have developed to, to create some uh, some um, some prototype apps that you can use to enter data and to see and to do some uh, uh, visualizations of, of the data as, as you are putting in. Uh, that's one one way of connecting things. Um, I, I'm also working on on a, on a visualization tool uh, called Mira, Mirador. Uh, that's yeah the Spanish word. No, mirador is like a place where you look kind of you. Uh, what would be the English word? Horizon. Like? Horizon. No, but mirador is where you stand and you look at the the. Oh, the look like a lookout. Look lookout. Yeah, and uh, this is a, a tool that we developed in collaboration with Fado Information Design, which is a studio here in Boston that was founded by, by Ben Fry, and um, this is kind of a collaboration between Fadom and the Savary Lab. And this is this uh, Mirador tool is, mo is tool is more uh, like a, um, an experimental experimental tool to to um, to try new ideas on, on how to visualize uh, uh, complex biomedical datasets. And I have used 
this tool in, in, in my own research. And uh, yes, we, we are kind of um, trying to incorporate ideas from statistics in, in how you na navigate data and how you discover errors in, in your visualization. And actually it's written with processing. The, I mean, you don't see it on the, on the surface. If you download Mirador, it's just a, like a tool that you know you, you can use to, to, to open data sets and look at them visually, but internally it uses processing as a drawing engine. So I... Well, that's, uh, that's fascinating. I mean, that uh, resonates with me a bit. Um, and I think we were talking about that before the podcast in, in terms that um, you're doing a lot of different things. Like, let's say we can name the book, the Processing Foundation, uh, for example, com Processing Community Day, you gave a talk uh, and like you work in Sabeti Lab. But in some way, uh, even though for people it might seem like a lot of different things, you manage to have like some sort of monotopic mono theme right like it's like as you it's not monotasking right mm -hmm. like you're not doing just one thing but you kind of i mean all the all of them have some guiding yeah there are some connections i sometimes i ask myself what is the the story of all of this right uh and um i think as a theme yeah i mean um how to use how, how to use uh code and, and interaction and graphics to enable creation i mean that's just a very overall theme but but then it, it comes down into more specific uh, uh things depending on on maybe on particular projects or particular uh, or specific interest we have but but there, i think there is a some sort of overall uh, narrative um but i'm always struggling with it because sometimes i feel that is you know it's not simple enough <laughs> <laughs> And uh, in this, I mean, daily, day-to-day uh, -day that you have, um, do you have any uh, set habits that you have developed over years that you see that are a pattern that helps your day? I try. I, I think, you know, going back to the theme of the, of the podcast, the simplicity, I try to, to, to have some simplicity, at least in my thinking, to, to start the day with, you know, simplifying my, my my thoughts sometimes we have all of these ideas on preoccupations and and you know concerns about the future and things start to be to look so complicated but sometimes we have to simplify a little bit that no and, and try to you know to have a more optimistic you know try to cut down all uh, out all of these crazy thoughts about you know about uh, you know what this this could be wrong this could you know this won't work it's just to try to enjoy things a little more and, and, and yeah i mean in terms of practical things uh, you know i try to to start the day kind of yeah to, to start with, 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 without all these uh, uh, worrisome thoughts and maybe do some um, sit down you know some do some breathing <laughs> maybe do some uh, um, some exercise in the morning yeah, to, to just to you know to get uh, uh, to get active and ready to you know um, to go to work and, and to do all, I mean, all, all that is, you know, all that is uh, coming up for, for that day. What else? I try to, you know, to keep a list of the, my to-do list, my daily to-do list, right? I try to have a, a, a kind of, um, some sort of, um, it's kind of a dynamic. I have a list where I have things for today, things for say next week and maybe more longer term and have items that I move back and forth every day. I try to take a look at that list when, you know, before. Uh, leaving home and deciding okay today i should focus on this 
Um, that's one another thing that I started doing not that long ago, and it helps because it sometimes sometimes it's easy to get lost with all these different things you're involved in. So I try to kind of have a list, uh, which is not strict. It's not like uh, uh, fixed. It has, uh, you know, it it, it 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 it's flexible. But I try to organize myself a little bit also in that way. I don't know. Um, I try not to, uh, to you know, I, I try to to cut out uh, on the screen usage after a certain time of day, but sometimes it's hard. <laughs> Computer and phone included? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I started recently to, you know, to charge the phone, not in my, in the bedroom. And so no, no, no. I try to leave all the screens out of my bathroom. So cert after a certain time, there is, you know, nothing. <laughs> me, me uh, sometimes, sometimes, yeah, because I found myself starting to, you know, to look at, scroll down, you know, news or stuff. And so, yeah. so what, what's your, I mean, how, how do you take social media? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I don't know what to say. I think it, it has, has so many great um, uses, no? Uh, that's for sure, to follow up you know, updates on, on people who are working on related problems, you know, that, that that's really useful. No? Uh, um, I mean, and, and I don't, I'm not a very big user of social media, have, you know, Twitter and Facebook accounts. Um, Facebook, I don't really use it. But because I, I, many, you know, family members and friends are there, I just, you know, communicate with them. Twitter is, I mean, I have, I really use it in a very kind of for, uh, how can I say it? Um, I, I I try to kind of my interest is mostly professional, or, or okay, I follow people who are work, uh, you know in, in the arts and, and design, or uh, you know in, in uh, scientific colleagues, and I kind of try to restrict myself to to that aspect of what you see on on Twitter. And you know I, when I tweet something, is typically about you know some you know some re processing related thing or some research related things. One, one, one thing people have been talking about in relation to social media is that yeah, it creates this image of yourself, right? You, you, you project this image, you know, as this person who is always having fun and, you know, like, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't use it in that, in that way, I think. I, mean, I, I guess that there are different ways of using, approaching social media for different people has different goals. Uh, in my case, I, I kind of have it more restricted to the kind of professional or the work-related uh, aspects of my life. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I've had conversations with other people and it's weird that some people have a really clear idea of how they think that Twitter, for instance, should be used. But then you see other people and they use it completely differently, yeah. right? Like, I mean, whether you follow everyone you know or you follow all the people that work with you or you follow uh, celebrities or you follow uh, newspapers, mm -hmm. events, like some people use it to mm -hmm. see you like for professional mm -hmm matters or like other people just for the news other people yeah. for yeah. Uh, the shows that you watch or artists or yeah and then when you when you read all about the all of these controversies about how public opinion is being shaped by social media um on one hand i i, I can i can understand that on the other hand is i find, find it striking because i haven't really involved with social media in that way or kind of um but yeah i think it's it's a it's an ongoing uh, conversation we're having with we're having society. You know how to use these new mediums uh, of communication. Well, yeah, again, some people really like only use it for like 
political you know comments and following news and so it's uh, i mean you can uh shape the tool in a really different way depending on who you're following or who you're interacting with yeah. on twitter or instagram yeah. or facebook yeah it's fascinating actually yes when you start thinking how yes i mean what things become very popular what yeah i think that the argument also there that i've read a lot about lately is like whether i mean if you rely on one of these services let's say uh twitter or facebook even more um to consume the news right like consume news mm -hmm. uh, i mean the algorithms that they have could be biased we don't know exactly how that they work right they're, they're yeah. private algorithms yeah you don't know yeah there's a black box um there you don't know how these algorithms work the, there is also this bias built into the system that show um that kind of give you a a um a select a selection of things based on your own profile so you get you get uh you end up being exposed to only things that you might find interesting so which in a way end up ends up reducing your 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 um perspectives you know you only hear about some subset of things right Yeah, it would be really interesting now you mentioned like to have this filter and switch it and say like, show me everything that you think I'm not going to like or yeah, show me yeah. on Spotify, right? Yeah. Play all the music that you that, think I'm going to hate. Then, like, yeah. You actually, might find that, I mean, there's one genre that you end up yeah, liking. Yeah. Or, yeah or, or point of view that maybe you can understand better and have, you know, a more open discussions. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that inversion would be it's uh, kind, good. Kind of, uh, I mean, I, I guess that confrontation on like spotify or hmm. facebook or something yeah would lead them to have uh, less usage of the users sometimes yeah. but i mean that i don't know <laughs> and how just curious how how's your commute the commute no I, i'm pretty happy with my commute because um i live uh pretty close to to where i work um you know biking it's you know 20 minutes Sometimes I walk. You know, it's at the edge of what I consider walkable distance, like 35 minutes. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I like walking, so I don't mind. It's another thing that helps me, you know, um, relax. I mean, I, I like walking because it's a, you know, it's a, a moment. It's, it's, it's a space that allows me to kind of flow a little more uh, in a more relaxed way with my thinking and, and kind of. Think, um, maybe consider uh, what I'm gonna do, or maybe just enjoy the you know what I see around. Because when you bike, for example, you cannot relax so much. You have to be very careful, you know, uh, of the cars around you. And when you take the public transportation, you have to go to the stop, have to do all these things. But when you walk, just you know, from door to door, just walk, you know, very, very happily. You know, you can have your own thoughts. It's a very nice experience for me. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I so I actually relate to that because I. I used to get my bike from my house to the station, to the T station, the train station, and then I would get the train and then I get a bus and then I'm at work, right? But I started uh, not biking and I, I walk every morning and then when I come back because those, uh, what I had like a four minute ride by bike, now I do in like 15 minutes and mm -hmm. it allows me to do that kind of the compre decompression mm -hmm. walk that allows me to I don't know, to, yeah, to think a bit and to be outside that we tend to be so much time on the computer. Yes. And yeah, Cambridge is pretty dangerous yeah. for biking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you, um, do you self-impose any kind of restrictions to yourself? Might be, 
as we talked about what you can do using your screens or internet or food or watching TV or not. Mm. Restrictions. Um, well, one one restriction that I impose myself is uh, about using you know phone near near my uh, in my bedroom at the you know sleeping. I mean when 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 I go to sleep, I just put it away in another room so I, I don't have you know my phone nearby to st- you know to feel tempted to to check email or, or you know or Twitter or whatever. Um, other restrictions. Mm, I mean, I try. I don't know. It's it's a very. Uh, 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 let me let me put it a, a different way. So instead of like restrictions, I mean, when you take a decision to like change your habit or your attitude towards something, after the years, it might be something that is part of your life. Like you drink coffee or don't drink coffee or something like that. At the beginning might be a restriction, but then maybe you can think of something that after years you end up just doing by habit and not like as something that you have to actively prevent yourself from doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's these habits become part of, of your everyday life and it's sometimes hard to, to, to change, but, but yeah, I, I, I think, you know, uh, it, it is, it is possible. It's possible because, um, let me think, I mean, this, uh, kind of, uh, mo- a morning routine of, of kind of uh, waking up instead of just rushing, to, you know, to, to get started. I try to, you know, to start a little uh, uh, more slowly and maybe, you know, do some reading and maybe do some exercise. I started to, I started to, to build um, or to, to have that habit and it takes some effort, you know, um, but, but, but um, once you, 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 you start kind of, you know, with a little effort, uh, to 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 do it uh, over and over, then it becomes a habit, and, and then you then you feel bad if you don't do it. It's interesting because, for, at first when you try to to create a new habit or or you know something like that, uh, you feel you feel the effort kind of uh, almost painful. Oh, no, I have to do this, <laughs> you have to push yourself. But after a while, it becomes. It's interesting how habits are formed. Even if it was not very um, pleasurable at the beginning, just by by the by the nature of the repetition, it becomes somehow something that you would feel um, uncomfortable not doing it. So it's interesting how things become habits. Um, and you can you know, turn many things into habits, <laughs> I think. Do you consider uh, any of the things that you do, um, like walking or going for a run or something like that, some sort of meditation? Because you you mentioned before that you kind of in the morning you kind of sort all the thoughts that are flying in your yeah. in your head. I know. I think with running, um, when with running with, with activity like running is that it takes your it takes you to kind of a, an excited state, no? Because of the um, the adrenaline, no? Of, of the you know the physical activity. So I don't think it has an effect that much of an effect in terms of the, re- the relaxation relaxation might be good well i mean it has maybe more indirect because you use your energies you you kind of use a physical activity that helps to your to your uh, well-being no so it might help you maybe um overall because you're feeling better and that helps you know in in, in your thoughts but the, the experience of running for myself is it puts me in a state of oh, i'm gonna have the kind of the the the, the, the action of running is almost like a have to do this, I have to, you know, it's, it's very goal-oriented, so I don't know if it's that, that relaxing. 
And do you play music while you're running? No, no, I, I try not to have anything with me. Uh, no, I don't count, uh, you know, how, what's the distance. And, and lately I haven't been running as much as I would like because, yes, I had a stretch of, you know, busy weeks. But, you know, at least I, I walk. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't listen to music or, or, or anything when I run. <laughs> how do you face boredom? Boredom. Um, no, I want to have more of it. <laughs> what, what can you can you elaborate a bit more? What do you what do you mean? No, by that? I think boredom uh, is kind of these times uh, uh, where you don't have a specific thing to do, right? And you feel um, uh, I I I I don't know what to do, right? That, that's that's boredom, right? Is that that's what it is? Well, um, actually, well, I didn't, I didn't think it like that, but that is actually one way to look at it. Well, then this question can branch out to two different questions. I think boredom, I would define as you are doing something and you get bored of doing it, or mm. you wanted to do something and you're doing it and then you get bored of it, or maybe you're waiting for something and you have like a moment where you don't have anything to do but you're just thinking in the future like don't mm. have anything and but I think what you mentioned is also interesting and when we have so much busyness and we seem to all be busy and mm -hmm. I say that if you're always busy you're doing something wrong <laughs> because mm. I mean mm. there, there is that shouldn't be it and yeah. so what you mentioned was How do you face that? How do you face when you find that, okay, I've been busy for three weeks, but then this weekend or this Saturday morning, I don't have anything to do. Are you comfortable with that? Are you uncomfortable? Or like, what do you do? Because some people, I mean, I would say that myself, I'm uncomfortable a lot of times because I get a bit stressed saying like, oh man, I have all mm. this uh, morning and Saturday that I don't have anything to do, but I don't know how to make the most out of it. Um. No, I, I think I, I don't feel um, bad about having those moments. Yeah, I, I, I think I, again, I think I, I, I like having those moments uh, more than, <laughs> than less. Yes, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think um, I want to have more of those moments because then, then... I can think about new projects, <laughs> more work to do now. No, I think, <laughs> uh, no, because then I can, you know, maybe think about talking with my family or, you know, maybe um, having some, maybe picking up a book I wanted to look for a long time or, you know, doing these little things that sometimes we don't have enough time to do. And yeah, it's uh, just that. Yeah, I mean, related to this, what are there any activities that you do that you can put on the bucket of like non-productive non-work let's mm. say cooking or cooking anything. yeah i mean no i like cooking i like well i'm not very good at cooking uh, i think but i like it when it's um it's for a, a, a gathering for friends with friends uh, yeah yeah i think having those moments uh, you know cooking when when you're gonna have friends coming over i really like that Even though I don't think you know I'm particularly good cook, but yeah, whatever. I think people have to have to uh, you know to stand. Uh, <laughs> I, I try to get some new recipes, but sometimes you know you, you need to practice. That's the thing that you need more boredom because you can practice your cooking. So <laughs> um, 
yeah i um so so no, yeah that's one one thing what else yeah i think i i mean there could be other things but now I, i'm not sure <laughs> okay um how do you understand art how do you understand art everything is art <laughs> very simple okay um no, but I can I can elaborate. Yeah, <laughs> no. I think I think art uh, should be something that we can do, um, that everyone can do at at unexpected moments. That uh, I think it shouldn't be such a special, you know, thing that we should only show at the museums. You know, that's what I think. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It's also like an ongoing search <laughs> for myself. What's your take on clothing? Cloning. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, it. Um, in general, uh, as with any techno uh, new biotechnology, um, th there are applications of, 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 of it that um, could could have a, a good impact in 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 the life of people and uh, you know, for um, for treating, treating disease. Um, but then it has a huge, huge ethical implications. I don't know if because I think that the possibility of of, um, of manipulating um, the genetic information and, and, and you know maybe creating individuals with certain characteristics or even um, um, you know deciding how. Uh, Eventually, this is the thing. Many of these things are still not possible, right? Uh, and and we kind of have have um, we imagine that w w what could happen? Okay, yes, we, through cloning and through genetic engineering, we we might be able to you know to create to create uh, people, no, with specific uh, <laughs> characteristics, with certain intelligence or, or certain appearance, um, and I think. In general, I, I I feel myself uncomfortable with those implications of the technologies of the of these biotechnologies. I think um, they certainly have a, um, a great potential to to for for um, curing disease, and I think that should be explored. But I think there are, there are lines there in, that has to be determined in terms of uh, our um, our ethics. No, it, it, it's something that needs to be answered by by having a discussion on. on um, I guess uh, what is the suffering or the benefit we uh, we obtain from them, and then what are the uh, implications uh, in terms of in terms of I would say even uh, discrimination, you know, racial discrimination in terms of uh, um, of uh, taking possibilities away from people to to predetermine people to certain things they might wa don't want, but that that's a whole discussion that needs time you know, that, that needs a, a kind of a nuanced um, conversation between people and I don't think uh, it's we should reach to to, to to kind of quick answers we, we need to kind of give time to, to everyone involved to, to voice their opinion and see where these lines should be drawn because there are certainly lines that we, we need to draw in terms of the, the ethical implications of these technologies but I think that that has to be discussed openly and following this question, um, how do you see 
Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Sherry Tarko, um, that she wrote the book alone together. No, no. Uh, so um, uh, basically the question was, um, what do you think about the relationship that um, technology industry, the technology industries seems to be starting to introduce where we uh, as humans relate to another robots that seem to have a humanoid agency, like talking to them as if they had feelings or huh. as if they were another person that can get hurt or... Oh, so, so, so I think this has to do with all the... Um, well, nowadays you see people interacting with their personal uh, kind of the, the um, home assistants, right? For example. And with many other devices, and, and which I mean, to me, I, I'm kind of mm, very uh, skeptical of, of those interactions because I think when you have an understanding of what how these systems work internally, you see that they are simply simulations. <laughs> they, they, they are um, they are not they, there is no real agency behind them. So. I, I'm very skeptical of these interactions be being meaningful to me. I don't know. For other people, it might be meaningful. Now, um, now that I name her, um, the work of Sherry Tarko, I think it could be summarized um, that she really, I mean, her conclusion after researching the relationship of humans with computers and robots and humanoids and like even like uh, toys like a Furby or like Tamagotchi or things like that, is that... Um, we we end up relying on these machines as uh, as if they were another human to kind of uh, get out of them what we would like to get out of a human. Um, but that the the fake part that is trying to be simulated that doesn't exist is that robots can't have empathy by definition, right? But what you said, there are simulations. So the simulation of empathy. It's not empathy. It's not <laughs> empathy. It's just like a simulation of empathy, and. And also that we're ending up uh, trying to rely on machines to get things uh, or to, as you said before, to tailor um, what we think of ourselves, right? Yes. Uh, by removing the parts that we don't like, like mm -hmm. even editing mm -hmm. a message that we send on social media or hiding it. Uh, mm -hmm. That's those, those are things that we can do with a robot. I mean, we could remove part of their memory of yes. a couple of days where we were really grumpy right yeah we cannot do that with a human no. i mean at least not yet i don't yeah. know yeah. <laughs> and luckily if you could um so if you could have like a, a sentence or a paragraph of let's say a short sentence that you would read every morning or like you would like the whole world to read every morning as a reminder what what would it say i mean i wouldn't i would need more time to come up with a, the right phrase but i think um things are not as bad as you think. <laughs> Sometimes we tend to view things that are happening in our lives as terrible events, and maybe they're not so terrible. Maybe we need to kind of put things in perspective. Uh, the work of uh, Patrick Winston at MIT, uh, he says that humans try to tie all the things with a story of why, like, an action, why they happened. And we try to be real bad at like, you know, usually we make up stories that right. make yeah. sense in our heads, but yeah, they are. Yeah. It's just, um, our fantasy, go fantasy going too uh, far. What do you expect for the future? What do I expect for the future? <laughs> um, I mean, for myself, for, 
to answer for myself i i would um expect to yeah to um, to focus on the things that are really important um yeah whatever that means <laughs> to you know to to it's it's an ongoing search um and think that would be a complete answer at any moment i think yeah uh focus on what is really important is in a way um what is important it, it changes right so so <laughs> it's a way of deflecting the question or saying well it's just more like a state of mind of saying well i i, I what that means it will will really uh you know depend from time uh, from moment to moment um maybe not so dramatically uh, <laughs> but like changing every second but what is important uh, you know there is an ebb and flow of what is important but i think focusing on i mean finding what is really important is kind of one one of the things that we are always trying to answer and i think it, to try to answer the ver the best way we can i think i mean two things um since uh, you're coming at me with these more philosophical questions one going back to the beginning <laughs> about sim this simplicity in in our thoughts trying to not to take into all this mess that we create in our minds no and yes and, and then realizing that things are not that terrible <laughs> that's what i've been uh, how uh, is this just how i've been trying to approach things recently so i'll see if it, that works <laughs> And uh, we're, we're starting to come to the end, um, but how would you try to help or how what would you say to people who are just getting started with like computational design, art, uh, computational creativity, uh, data visualization, uh, all, all these nebulous things? Well, I think you need to, um, I mean, from my own experience, which was very serendipitous you know like a little bit of moving around and and things happening uh not so much because of a plan but because i met someone or i started doing some project and i mean that's 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 very important just to give yourself freedom to explore things uh, not according to a plan but it's also good to to look around you kind of stop from time to time and kind of evaluate where are you at and maybe thinking okay what where where, where try to think in terms of uh more like hmm, some some concept some guiding idea and, and to see uh how can you get deeper into that that idea no so, so you know, on one hand it's good to explore new ideas new things that are kind of related maybe in a more tangential way to what you your motivation original motivation is but then you need to kind of going deeper as well so it's kind of a balance between the two things do you have a role like a lifestyle of the lifestyle of a person or something that you have in mind as an ideal that you would like to have? I think it it's um I don't think it would it would be a one person. I think certain different areas of life in different areas of life I see different people as models so it's more like a Frankenstein <laughs> can you name I mean can you highlight some no I think um, people from you no know, uh, for example mentoring and teaching I, I see some people I have it you know I have had as, 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 as my mentors and teachers as, as models for that mm. for that aspect uh, and um, 
Uh, and per personal life is a little harder. It's, it's really, it's so, so unique, the experiences you have. It's, it's hard to say, at least to me, okay, I'm gonna follow this, the model of this person because eventually the person I could know best um, as models for my personal life are the people I having are, are experiencing my, 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 my life with. So in a way it's, it's hard to disentangle. Uh, I think I have some models, um, again, I think in terms of mentoring, in terms of perhaps, uh, uh, you know, doing coding and doing this, this more, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, this come together somehow in, in one diffuse or multiple uh, aspects. Yeah, I think uh, James Maloney in the in the first episode he mentioned this also that uh, we tend to idealize uh, the role models of our lives as like celebrities or stars yeah. or entrepreneurs or like people who got rich or like founded great companies or organizations, mm. but we don't really know anything about their mm. private lives. Like the day to day might be something that I mean, I said like, yeah, that's a great company that they founded, but their daily life sucks, or I don't want to live like that. So I think, I mean, we need to also, you yeah. know, it's it's easier, I think, to find out an actual role that would like with, as you said, people that you know personally. Um, well, so I think we can start wrapping up. I have uh, something uh, before you tell us where we can uh, find you online. Um, I didn't want to forget um, that your future work is going to involve more development of AR right on on yeah. processing we'll see yes that's and, one one is in uh, kind of one plan and that um i wanted to make an announcement but in some way it doesn't make a lot of sense because um this podcast won't come live until uh april 1st ah, and your your workshop uh is actually next week ah yes <laughs> so andres is giving a workshop on processing for android at the following information design following information design so so you can simply you know maybe uh, I, I hope we'll have some um, video video and maybe you can uh, you know post or link to, What's to those the material date of this week? So, uh, next friday next friday march 2nd march 2nd okay and uh where where can people find you i mean do you have a website social media yeah. email yes oh. i have a little um outdated website um uh, that can you can still use to find my twitter account and my email so that um that website is uh andrescolubri.net and yeah that that's one way uh, what else i have i tweet okay uh, you know not yeah a uh, few times a week it's not uh, I mean, my tweeting habits are again like a little. I'm I'm not like a high uh, high speed tweeter or or, or, or like a. Uh, but but I I I I tweet from time to time and this uh, code anti code, uh, the the Twitter handle, uh, no Co code anti code as a one word, without spe without any hyphens or anything. What else? Uh, that's my GitHub, my also my GitHub user uh, name. And yeah, I think that's, you can, yeah, find a lot of stuff there. Cool, we'll put these details on the episode yeah. notes. Great. And well, I just uh, want to uh, thank you. Like, thanks a lot for, for being a guest. I've enjoyed a lot of the conversation. Yeah. And I hope you <laughs> do. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking about all this. I mean, it was very, you know, 
we we went through many things so it was really enjoyable yeah i really had a good time talking about all these different things yeah well um that was the fifth episode of the getting simple podcast uh with andres colubri as always um you can join uh, getting simple to be up to date with uh, the latest essays and podcast episodes by going to gettingsimple.com forward slash uh, newsletter you can find all the previous podcast episodes on itunes and stitcher so if you want to support the getting simple podcast uh, the best way is to uh, rate it on the itunes store and you can also uh, become a patron um, patreon.com forward slash getting simple thanks for listening and i hope you enjoy it